Hello and welcome to the W RTE Sports podcast for sports women, bringing you insight and analysis on major events unfolding and shining a spotlight on champions of women's sport on and off the field of play. I'm Ivani Cullen and I'm joined by two women who between them have competed at five Olympic or Paralympic Games with sites firmly set now on Tokyo 2020. Ellen Keane and Natalia Coyle, you're very welcome to the W. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for fitting us in. It's 11 o'clock on a Monday morning and I take it both of you have already been training this morning. Well, I actually got up this morning (laughs) to go training and I had a text from my coach saying that his kid was up all night with a vomiting bug so he wasn't going to make it. So we asked, what do you do tomorrow? So I swam this morning yeah, and I was going to have breakfast with Ellen afterwards <laughs> and then I had to eat it by myself. So. She texted me and I was like, oh, I'm still in bed. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean that you got to have a second breakfast and you didn't earn no, yours I just, yet? No, I just had one. Yeah, yeah. I have a second mm-hmm. breakfast day, mm-hmm. So Okay, so the second breakfast thing, that's to do with the amount of calories that you have to you have to take in on a day when you're training. Yeah, and it's just so easy to get the calories in, in after your first session. So I swam this morning and then I just get my second breakfast and then I know I'm tied over for a little bit before I do my next session. So I was going to have breakfast, a nice social breakfast this morning, but Sorry. Ellen had a bit of a sleep in. So. Oh, okay, okay. Well, look, I'm glad you, you, I'm glad you got to fit us in in the midst of all of this training. She um, had a nap too. Yeah, yeah, she's had a nap as well. I mean, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's, it's a new day. <laughs> the rest of us are barely out of bed. Um, okay, look, I, when we started doing this W podcast, this is the one I was really looking forward to, actually, from the very beginning. And I didn't really want to do it until we were about a year out from Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. But to get the two of you in a room um, with, you know, so much experience at going to games, um, even though you're both really young still, and to be looking ahead to Tokyo next year and to be <laughs> able to do that. Um, I start with you, Ellen, because, you know, you have your qualifying time for Tokyo and I know there's a bit of, um, you know, bureaucracy and we've, we've got to wait until places are assigned yeah. and all of that. Um, but, I mean, you're firmly looking at Tokyo and you're not just looking at Tokyo, you're looking at podiums. Yeah, yeah. So what we're focusing on isn't getting to Tokyo. It's about what's happening when we're in Tokyo. Um, and yeah, I have the time. We find out, I think, in February how many slots the team get. Um, but based on our performances from World Championships, we're pretty confident that we're going to get the slots the slots anyway for the females and you know we're still a good bit out um it's about eight or nine months when when we look at both of the games so that lead-in time when you already know you're going and you're the same Natalia how do you like not kill the time but manage the time properly in terms of peaking and, and and you know your fitness and and like what you need to hit at certain times um, so at the moment I train with the national, the NAC swim club. So there's me, there's Nicole Turner and there's uh, Patrick Flanagan. Now me and Nicole already have our qualifying times. So we aren't actually competing properly until the end of December, which is just kind of, we're doing um, short course nationals, which is just kind of a race opportunity for us, a bit of race practice. Whereas Patrick is going to try and get his qualifying time. So he is in the middle of t- kind of tapering down, trying to focus on getting that qualifying time whereas for me and Nicole it's just about getting our fitness and practicing our techniques and then towards we'll we'll properly start racing then in April when we have a a few world series to go to and get a bit of travel in as well because Tokyo is so far away so we really do need to practice our travel strategy as well but we kind of I had a meeting I sat down with my coach Dave Malone um, a few weeks ago and when I came back from world championships I had a few weeks off and then when I got back training it was kind of I was kind of expecting it to be a lot harder than it was but Dave was quite chill about it um and then when we sat down to have a meeting he was like 
it's going to be a hard nine months so you kind of just needed that little bit of chill time and then he had it all mapped out about what we're doing when we're going to perform when we're going to race hard when we're going to taper down and having that plan and knowing exactly where we're going and the direction we're going in is really kind of gives you that bit of confidence so you know every day what your goal is and what you're working towards yeah so a bit of structure yeah Natalia so you got your Tokyo spot back in August I think in Bath at the Europeans Mm. um I mean, were you expecting to get it that early? Well, that was the whole aim of the year was everything kind of was leading towards Bath, which was my Europeans in August and top eight um, countries qualify there. And that was the kind of real goal because it means you can qualify that year before the games or and then otherwise you kind of needed to make a podium at world championships or go the ranking route, which I've done the past two games. And that's quite a long and stressful time because you basically are competing for most competitions and hoping you get the good ranking points and then looking at the other girls and you know it is quite a stressful time so that this whole year from um the past season was building up towards Europeans to kind of nail it to get the qualifying um I was about to say time but position there so so that means that your lead-in to Tokyo will be different from Rio and London in yeah. that you won't be under pressure next April you know finding all these ranking points yeah exactly like I'm gonna go it's funny when you're saying nine months out like in my head I'm already like okay we're in November god we're really running out of time because when <laughs> I think about it my World Cup start in February and now I'm not under as much pressure but I still need to perform a little bit just to kind of solidify my spot again but I'll have probably two World Cups and then um, just like Ellen was saying about travel strategies our World Cup final and Worlds are actually in Asia so we'll probably practice kind of what we're going to do over there and there in May. So I'll be going to one of them in May probably, or if not two. And then that brings me kind of to end May. And then I'm like, oh, well, end of May is in June. And God, that brings me to July and that's the Olympics. <laughs> so it's just, it's all going to fly by. And like each week I keep freaking out on a Saturday because I'm like, oh my God, the week's already finished. You know, that's another really hard block done. So it is going to kind of fly by and it is great because I've had my qualification spot. So I'm able to kind of work on my weaknesses the past um, the couple months there. So it's a different kind of focus for me instead of probably not having as much time to work on things. I have more. So it's great. When you say that you want to solidify your spot, explain that to me because you know, you're going to Tokyo. You don't need to solidify your position when you get there. Um, Like what way do, we'll say the ranking, I was looking at the rankings last night and according to the website, you are 20th in the world but 34th in Olympic ranking. So like, why does it even matter if you've already got your place so automatic spots already so um would have gone so it doesn't matter if I'm 34th or not because I've already got mine Mm -hmm. so there'll be two other girls um Cy Brazel and Ellie Price who'll be trying to go through the ranking route and then there's only two people who get to go to the games in pentathlon so just saying that both of them qualify through the ranking route I'll have want to have done maybe one good competition next year as well with my Europeans just gone to be like I'm going to go to the games and that's just to make sure that I suppose that I'm on form would be to the thing. So technically speaking if three qualify from Ireland you still need to be in the top two to go yeah, to the Olympics. Yeah you need to be in the top two to go to the Olympics. Okay. Yeah. So That's kind of similar to yeah. the Olympics as well yeah. so when we get our slots in February there'll be female slots but they won't be named. There won't be an Ellen Keane yeah, spot there won't I'm be guessing. a name yes. on the slot so it's about yes you've got your qualifying time but you have to be the best in Ireland to mm. get on that team. So it's the same we mm. saw in the discus at the recent um, championships we saw Eve McCarthy qualified a female spot but yeah. it's not necessarily hers could, yeah could yeah. Noel could go it's or like, like go, Annalise yeah. um, Murphy with the boat the boat qualified spot last year but it's not anyone's spot yet they all have to fight it out prove, to get that spot yeah. so you're feeling nicely under pressure <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like the rowing as well a place yeah, in the boat like it's good but I've always said like you know if I can't qualify 
like I want to go and I want to compete and do really well in the games and if I can't qualify a spot then I don't deserve to be there because someone else is going to do better than me so now like it's I don't feel the pressure like I would have done coming up to Rio because I was chasing points then the whole time and this time around I'm not so and I'm very confident in my abilities anyway so but it just gives me more time this time to say sit back and have a look with my coaches and say oh well here is definitely a little bit of gains I can get and work on those without thinking okay I need to keep everything else up at the same time because I do have till August to kind of refine Mm. those things. Natalia can I ask you about time management and training management right because I was reading somewhere now correct me if I'm wrong right in one week six runs four swims three free play fencing Two fencing lessons, four shoots, one horse riding lesson. And that's before we talk about physio and, and then you know, two and gyms, food and, two and, gyms. and podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to plan food. Food is the, like, yeah. How do you, so you compete in modern pentathlon. There are five elite sports, we'll yep. say, that you have to manage. Um, how do you do that? It's really tough. And each week is kind of you give a little bit and take a little bit from other sports so some weeks you might have more fencing and some weeks you might have some more runs and then this week for example I don't have to do fencing um, training this evening because I did a fencing competition on the weekend so I'm taking a little bit away this week because I did extra last week so it's really about time management and also kind of knowing your body because you can kind of muscle through a lot of training and keep going and going and going but you need to know that point that okay maybe I'm actually nearing the cliff I need to pull back a bit but it is a lot about recovery strategies and eating it's all about eating the whole time about trying to get in that fuel because the more you're fueled the more you can do it's like putting fuel in a car and sometimes that's really difficult to do because you might prep on a Sunday and I could prep loads and loads of food but like that's probably only going to get me till Tuesday or Wednesday like it's not going to get me the whole <laughs> week <laughs> yeah I'll run out by Wednesday so by Wednesday I have to do another like stock up but by Wednesday I'm really tired and all I want to do is sleep so it's kind of a cash 22 you need to kind of learn and you know I I have been doing this sport for years and years but I'm still learning now like and I'm still making mistakes and I'm still kind of doing really good things so it's just all about kind of each week is kind of a new week and sometimes you start and you're tired and then sometimes you start and you're fine but you kind of know by the end of the week like you're gonna have a day rest so rebuild. I remember asking somebody when you were in Rio um, and I was out there watching and you you got a bit of a dud horse someone told me anyway uh, for the horse riding part um is is that why in a week for example you would do one horse riding lesson because you don't have the same amount of control over your performance in a competition as you would for example in your own swim yeah like we do we all came from horse riding so we kind of have that background as well um and also it's just really difficult like when you listed everything out there we were trying to put in another riding lesson um for a couple of weeks there but we actually just couldn't find the time because we were trying to put it in the middle of a day and then we were like but then you can't sleep and then you can't do this and everything had a knock-on effect so sometimes if we have a recovery week and we have less just say running or swimming we'll put an extra lesson in there for riding and then sometimes we do a little bit more of an intensive block but you're right like it is taken out of your hands but you can do work to kind of make sure you make the most of it when when it happens because yeah I did get a horse that wasn't that great in Rio but I'd done a lot of work beforehand and we had a really good coach with us and I just kind of went in and I actually rode clear so it was great but sometimes it is a little bit out of your hands and you know that's pentathlon unfortunately and I've learned across the years you just kind of got it like so you just have to add horse whisperer to you <laughs> yeah exactly. I went to a medium like two years ago and she told me I was a horse whisperer and I was like maybe I should bring Ellen with me yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe you should start competing in modern pentathlon yeah. Ellen I have tried Ellen <laughs> I have tried talking to horses <laughs> doesn't work that's a whole other podcast Ellen yeah <laughs> um can I ask you Ellen about you know this 
the Paralympic journey that you've been on because um what are you now 24 24 yeah okay so you were 13 in Beijing yeah and you were only a few years in elite swimming at the time obviously who I mean how you even were an elite swimmer at 13 (laughs) but um can we just go back there to your first Paralympic Games and Mm -hmm. traveling out to Beijing as a child basically yeah um what was that like to go from you know a para swimmer to a Paralympian um it was my first major championships as well so I hadn't been to a Europeans or a Worlds so to me like because I was so young it was just kind of like a big adventure Um, a few weeks a few months previous as well my appendix had burst so I was in hospital for a week Um, I wasn't allowed to train for like three weeks so we had gotten an exercise bike in my garage so that I could because I couldn't get my stitches wet so that I could still do something I was in the garage my we still have it as well my mom does like 12k every day on the exercise bike in the garage um but we had that issue as well so I wasn't actually fully sure that I was going like my mom was saying like this has happened now you mightn't you might get picked to go, something might happen. But fortunately, I got my fitness back and I was able to go. Um, and you got six in the 100 meter breaststroke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was just all pure talent. And I had some really good coaches and like I swam with an able-bodied swim team. Like there's no disability clubs in Ireland. Um, so you just kind of join a local team. And I just had great teammates who treated me the same and great coaches who treated me the same. And I think that's the important thing about kind of developing a para swimmer is that don't look at what's different about them. Look at how you can adapt your sessions to make them the best athlete that they can be. Whereas I know that there's a lot of coaches who just still don't understand and kind of, oh, well, I'll put make you wear fins so that you can, like keep up with everyone else but that necessarily isn't the same training zone that you need to be in um so yeah when I went to Beijing I like had a chaperone all the under 18s have to have a chaperone so there's a chaperone that came away with us but that was the only kind of difference there was between me and the other athletes and we were all there to do a certain job and that was to compete and represent our country and that's what I did the other difference was though when you came home you know, you were going into what secondary, second year, or third year in second school, year, yeah. second year in school, um, dealing with being a teenager, dealing with exams, and all the normal stuff that all the rest of us are dealing with without being a Paralympic swimmer. Yeah. Um, can you throw your mind back, even for athletes that are maybe hoping to qualify for the first time for a Paralympics or an Olympic Games? What was it like to come home and readjust to um, real life? The thing about the Olympic and Paralympic Games is that you spend four years of your life. Well unless you're exceptional circumstances you spend so long in your life preparing for these games and then when you go and you compete it's the highlight basically of your athletic career and then you come home and then there's the down that we would call post-olympic blues so to have something there ready and waiting for you when you come back to get in and kind of get your head down and focused on something else is really important and I had really good friends around me that kind of helped me settle back in and adjust but also like in 2008 Paralympics wasn't as big and well known as it is today so when I came back people kind of brushed it off and didn't really know what it was fully and was that tough for you eh, it was and it wasn't like I still didn't fully understand the difference myself um and 
the only kind of thing that got to me was being like people asking me oh are you an Olympian and I'm like no I'm a Paralympian or oh are you a special Olympian and you're like no I'm a Paralympian like there's a difference between the three and um even like reporters or journalists would say it to me as well but thankfully like as time has gone by that's changed but yeah those were kind of the only things that got to me but then um because I did go through that stage in my life of being really insecure about my body it actually kind of suited me so that like Paralympics wasn't a big thing or in the media so I could kind of hide a bit more you're also 13 yeah you know it's hard enough to be 13 (laughs) (laughs) from going through all of that (laughs) you said once um Paralympics is not a world you live day to day you know so that when you go to the Paralympics you're obviously in that bubble Mm -hmm. but and you see all the people around you with the same impairment or similar or whatever so like what did you mean by that that you're are, are you in a bubble at the Paralympics and then when you come home you're out of the bubble again uh I think I can't remember when I said that but um yeah, basically, like when you go to the Olympic or Paralympic Games, it's not like anything else that you're ever going to experience. It really is just this environment and um, atmosphere that you're kind of put into where everyone has the same goal. Everyone has the same dream and everyone has so much respect for everyone else that's there. And uh, that's like the slogan from Beijing is one world, one dream. And I have that tattooed on my back. Um, but yeah, no, that's I think that's even even if you go to a Paralympic or Olympic Games and you don't medal, you still you're still going to be an Olympian or a Paralympian for the rest of your life and you're still going to have that me- those memories and that environment is still going to stay with you forever. Natalia, London, ninth. Yeah. Rio, seventh. Sixth. Sixth, sixth. sorry. Oh, that was adjusted, wasn't yeah. it? Yes, sorry, that's my bad. Um, do you have, I mean, I mean, I hate asking athletes this, especially eight months out, but I mean... Y- You've spoken, I think you have podium in in your mind. Oh yeah, like I wouldn't have gone for another Games if I didn't think I could, or at least I always said I'd like I'd stop if I wasn't getting any better because I just think that you see a lot of athletes and I understand because Ellen probably knows it, it's like a drug being an elite athlete. Like it's really hard, but like there is something that always draws you back into doing it again. And I didn't want to be always around kind of trying to chase the gym if I wasn't getting any better. And I found like I was like after Rio, I was like, okay, I took a bit of a break and I was like, right, I'll come back in now and see if I can kind of get that little bit better for next year because I've been kind of chasing a podium for a while. And then the following year, I really I got on the podium. So I was kind of, oh, okay, like this is possible. And I don't think I would have tried to go for another games if I didn't think I could get on the podium or at least close to because in pentathlon it's incredible the depth that there is so for the four four world cups that went on this year there um the top three medalists were different at every world cup so no one repeated so like that just shows you it's so different kind of the whole time does that mean there were nine different medalists yeah there's right. nine different medalists so you know um actually it's 12 so four world cups so four world four cups, world cups. Okay, yeah. so there was 12 different medalists and actually i think at world cup final there was another three different medalists maybe only one was a repeat okay so, so the competition i mean it's very it's very fierce. spread. Yeah. yeah it's fierce and but that also shows that when you kind of are on the start line especially in olympics it could be anyone's day so that is the kind of thing as well but you know i i think ellen would say the same as when you go to a games and you come back like there is that down as well but some suddenly as well another games looks really far away Mm. and you kind of think I know the hardship that it is and I know how tough it is and how exhausting can I do it again and it's whether sometimes I find like definitely after the last games it wasn't like whether my body could do it because I was like oh I think my body can do it it's like whether my mind could do it again just like the hard slogs in the winter the just the really really tough training and it's when you compete and you don't do well and the competitions are quite far in between so it's like 
I've been training really, really, really well. Oh gosh, I just like I remember one of the World Cups last year. Um, I got um, I was training really, really well. Um, and then the week before, I got an infection in my foot, and I ended up going antibiotics. And then I think I came eighth that or something. But I was like, I totally knew I had a medal in me. Like I was coming third before the final event, but I'd been on like really heavy antibiotics for about nine days, and I just couldn't hold it together. And that was so frustrating because I remember being like, oh, I could have been on the podium. But I suppose like that, that is sport. And that I think that's sport, why we yeah. do it as well. It's because there is, it is that slight game of chance a little bit, you know, so. Who also, could it happen to you as well? <laughs> <You'd> be, <laughs> Who else could be on antibiotics? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be retired long enough. Like, do you think about that yeah. sometimes, you know, because you do have a long life ahead of you and you have to stop competing oh, yeah. for various reasons. So is it a case of, you know, make hay while the sun is shining and keep going? Oh, definitely. Like, I think I remember after Rio being like, oh, like, I definitely would really, really like to go on. And everyone was like, well, of course, because you can't ever go back. Like, oh, you, can, you can't, like, there's no way you can ever go back and do it. Like, I couldn't say, oh, I'll just retire for three years and then I'll start yeah. it again. Like, a, a lot of girls in the sport kind of have tried to do a little bit like that in pentathlon. But the load is so high in pentathlon that you can't get back. You can't build back up to that again. Or if you can, you're kind of an exceptional athlete. And I think, yeah, there will be lots of time when I'm retired to do other things. And, you know, anytime I'm always like, oh, I missed my friend's wedding or I missed something. Like my mom was like, there will be more things to do. And if they are like, I'd say Alan's the same, like you're really good friends. They Mm. they don't mind. They know that you can't do it. And there's a reason it's not that you're just trying to avoid them. But you're not coming at it like both of you are you're veterans at this stage. Like, I know. I got the veteran in Rio. I was 21. (laughs) But Ellen, like, there are not many people who get to go to three games. That was your third game. Yeah. So, like, you were a veteran. Sorry to break it to you. How many did Dave go to? Dave, my coach, went to four. Yes, yeah. so there you go. So there I'm you go. And, like, he's, you know, and he's been to, like, everyone since he retired as well because he's been a manager and now he's a coach. coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so you are a veteran. Sorry to break it to you guys. Oh. <laughs> Even if you're, like, oh. tw- tw- 24 and 27, is it? Or... it's okay well I won't be revealing my age um Ellen I want to ask you about classifications in Mm -hmm. parasport because um I I cover parasport you know a bit a good bit and you know I'm still learning because it keeps changing yeah um and so much of it I just don't understand like when I watched um, Alva Kelly in Rio for example I couldn't I couldn't and I still can't understand why she would begin, for example, in the pool and the seven other athletes in the other lanes would be able to dive in and they would basically dive in over her and have an automatic advantage. Yeah. Um, why Why was that? Like, I mean, that's just one example of classifications. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say myself, I was watching the athletics, uh, para-athletics world championships a few weeks ago and I was even confused. And I, I understand para-sport and I understand the classification, but... Um, it's basically to try and make it as fair as possible uh, para para athletes compete against people with similar disabilities to them so for swimming um s1 to s10 would be a physical disability so s1 being the most disabled and s10 being the least disabled so i'm an s9 and i'm missing um my arm from below the elbow and then s11 to s13 is visual impairment so s11s would be completely blind s uh 13s would be just a little bit visually impaired and then s14s would be an intellectual impairment um but unfortunately like they try it's kind of like boxing in terms of the weight categories there's a certain cutoff point and that's where it is and i know myself i've been up and down a bit based on half a quarter of a centimeter of my arm was the difference between me and a medal in london and so i was in the higher classification uh in london and then 
they allowed me to bring in an x-ray which showed that they were measuring from the wrong space (laughs) in 2015 so I got put back down but yeah it's just the system is a bit since since uh Rio they changed the whole system to try and make it as fair as possible and a little bit more um to help people understand but it's it's been different it's been difficult and a lot of questions have been asked a lot of people aren't happy with the classification system at the moment well I saw a picture um recently of um Brock Whiston of the UK right now you can explain this to me because I think she's in your class yeah but she's got two full arms and I think she's got two legs yeah so like I don't understand how you could swim against her yeah, no, I don't understand either, to be honest. And it is really hard. So, so I'll probably get emotional. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so they reclassified her or they reclassified you? They reclassified her. So last year I was world champ- or European champion and I was world number one until April. Mm. And then she got, <laughs> she got put into my classification. Um, and it's the system, the system's flawed. Like they they base the classification off one swim that they see the athlete racing and it's a swim that everyone knows is happening. So things can be manipulated. I'm not saying that she did manipulate it, but if you were to, it is kind of easier to do because you know when the race is going to be. Um, so they based it off that one swim that they watched her do in April and then uh, they confirmed her until 2021. So after that swim, she broke the world record by four seconds um and then she went on to become world champion uh world record holder and like so many questions have been asked about the system because of how easy it is to kind of a lot of athletes are slipping through that and then Mm -hmm. there are athletes who like Alva are clearly in the wrong classification and unfortunately that's one of the reasons why Alva retired because like I trained with her every day she's such a hard worker and she was getting PB she was pushing herself she was such a committed disciplined athlete but she was just going nowhere because of the classification that she was in and she got to the point where like she retired the year out from the Paralympic Games Mm -hmm. because she was just so sick of coming last and so it it was kind of embarrassing in a way like she could she could go out there and swim as fast as she possibly could and get a PB, but no one would understand that that was a great swim for her because it would look like she came last. Um, so unfortunately, that's the issue that we have in Paralympics at the moment is that the system is flawed. People are getting through the cracks and athletes are suffering because of it. Yeah, because I remember the picture of you and it was a fabulous picture in Rio when you were on the podium and the three of you had the exact same yeah. um, impairment and the three your, you had your three arms in the air with the medals and it was a fantastic picture and it was it was just the epitome of equality and it was the epitome of a level playing field. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people realise that this classification has happened. Um, That's the thing, I, like I, to go from being European champion to be beaten by someone it, from Europe by nearly nine seconds. It was eight, and, eight seconds and something. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just kind of looked like if you hadn't known my times beforehand, because like I swam faster in London than I did at Europeans. But if you didn't know that, it kind of looked like, oh, she's kind of taking a bit of a, a dossier or something like that. And yeah, it's, it is it is hard. But uh, when, so the girl who came second in at World Championships was the girl who won the gold medal in Rio. So we both have the same arm. Her name's Kat. And mm-hmm. before we went on the podium, we were, I was like, like, why don't we just recreate what we did in uh, Rio? Because we both have the same arm. She doesn't have the same arm. 
and it might be a chance for people to look and be like something's not right here so that's what we did and it's actually really funny because on YouTube they have all the medal ceremonies and all the races from all the events from world championships but they don't have our medal ceremony up there is this a conspiracy I don't know but I've tried to find it to show someone and I couldn't find it anywhere We'll have to dig out that photograph. And I know. Make, yeah. Make the point. <laughs> it is. It's, it's desperately unfair. And but like, also, unfortunately, like, there's athletes, because I do know some athletes who are, they're getting abused from be, for being in the wrong classification, but they're not actually, they're upset themselves every time they get told that they're in that classification because they don't believe that they should be there either. And they think that, like, I'm friends with one of the girls, Alice Ty, and she's even like, she was one of the girls who raced against uh, Alva and she can walk, she has two legs. And she's like, I don't understand why I'm racing against Alva. Like, it's so unfair. And, like, people like her are getting abused because she has to race against someone a lot more disabled. And, like, Alice is trying so hard to be like, I don't understand either. It's just another barrier, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. another, well, it's another motivator as well to to get up and keep, and keep yeah. going and keep trying. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing, like, I'm sure Tal feels the same like we spend so long of our lives training and if you were to compete and not get a PB like I find that a lot harder as well as than missing out on a medal because like medals are awarded to like the best athletes in the world or in some cases people who shouldn't be there but like if I go out and compete and get a PB I know I've done the best that I can possibly do and that's what I'm aiming for in Tokyo. Yeah and you like that as well Tal that you are your your own I suppose strongest competitor yeah well that's like just what Ellen said there each Olympic Games I've gone to and whenever anyone asked me like how are you hoping you're gonna do and I always probably give the boring answer that journalists probably don't like which is I want to have a PB in each event because in my sport anyway the only time I can influence anyone else um is in the fencing because I can beat them in fencing but I can't I can I can only do beat myself basically in every other event you know I can only run as fast as I can run or swim as fast as I can swim but I can't influence anyone else. So in fencing, I can take as many points off everyone else as I want. But after that, you know, it's up to me. So I always say I want to swim a personal best and run a personal best, ride clear, shoot really well, and maybe get a fencing PB along the way. And if you do that, after all of the end of the day, you're going to end up at the top because you are like that's what's going to happen and in London I did PBs across the board and in Rio I did the exact same so if I can do that again in Tokyo that's the aim and then I think it also gives you that kind of feel at the end of the day if it hasn't gone that well if if I've personal best in every event and competed out of my skin and come last I cannot do any more you know mm-hmm. and even though it's still a sickening feeling you at least know that you've gone and done everything that you possibly could do whereas I feel if there's competitions that I've won medals in and maybe haven't done that well in certain things, you still have the end of the day going, oh, like I definitely should have done better in that event. Whereas at least if you've emptied it all out, you think, okay, that was a great day. And yes, maybe I didn't get the whole outcome at the end of the day, but like I did really, really well. And I think that helps you mentally a little bit. That sounds like really good advice for younger athletes who are maybe preparing for their first Olympic Games because um, I can only imagine... (sighs) the stress and the anxiety it's incredibly stressful it must be like I don't think there's a way of both games I've gone to I've gone through the ranking route so you compete right up until the end of the window for us the end of the window was end of May 
So that only leaves you June and then the Olympics are in July. And it is one of the, both times in 2016 and in 2012, it is the most stressful period of my life because you're waiting for each competition that's coming up, trying to compete as well as you can compete and train as hard as you can train, but very little turnaround in the middle. Like this time round, um, the competition start in February. And if I was going the ranking route, I'd have two weeks in between the first World Cup and second World Cup, three days between the second World Cup and third World Cup, seven days before the last one and then the last World Cup is in Prague and then World Cup final is in Seoul and there's eight days in the difference there so going from Prague to Seoul and then you seven days to World Champs you know there's no time and it's so stressful and I think it is people probably are like oh you're trying to qualify for games and they don't understand like how stressful it actually can be but um, myself and Alan were actually talking about it a while ago. It was amazing watching the hockey girls qualify mm. because I, when I was watching them qualify and seeing them all crying at the end and I was watching and I was like, oh man, like I'm going to my third games now. And it really... You kind of take it for granted. Yeah, right? you do. And yeah. it kind of, you, like it kind of brought me back to how I felt in London when I qualified and kind of relived that kind of joy a little bit. And it's not that like it isn't, as important to me as it is to them but it's just a different thing you know I came from a different angle I thought I should qualify early I should prepare and I should perform and then when I saw them qualifying kind of rekindles that like joy of it all you're like oh I'm gonna go to a games again like this is so exciting I think the exciting thing about the hockey girls as well qualifying in Dublin was the whole country were behind them Mm. so the whole country have already started to get Olympic fever yeah and you can you can really feel it and even like with the Circle K stuff that are up and yeah. all the posters that are up for with athletes on them, it's just starting to get really exciting really early on, I think. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. Like I think and for any athletes who are about to, they're probably in the midst of their qualification journey. Like it is a really stressful time. And I think it's about, you know, you can only do as much work as you can do. Sometimes you overwork it, like in both in my games afterwards, like the, the year before the Olympic Games and the year of is the most intense you'll ever train and it's the hardest mentally Mm. and you know it's about kind of just yes squeezing as much training out of it as you possibly can but also just realizing you can't do too much work because you also for us you have to compete really well Mm. so you got to be trying to enjoy it which is really difficult to say and it goes by so quickly and if you don't enjoy it like within the blink of an eye yeah it can go by so quickly like as you're saying I'm on my way to my fourth games like what (laughs) advice so quickly <laughs> I remember meeting Martin Irvine here and he'd uh, just retired and he, I asked him like what was his biggest regret kind of across the course of the way and he was like not enjoying the medals that I won at the at the medium moment and I remember being like I don't know what he's talking about <laughs> and then last year when I won a world cup medal in Cairo and it was great I won a medal woo really good I was really happy and then I came home and I started training immediately for the next world cup and it was only kind of after I'd been, um, had antibiotics for one of the World Cups after and I thought, I won a medal in the first one. Like, that's amazing. And then I thought back to Martin and was like, that's what he meant. <laughs> like, that is exactly what and he meant. Dropped. Yeah, and like, dropped. that's exactly it. So your advice for younger athletes or maybe people on their qualification journey is to just remember to, you know, celebrate your PBs and to feel the joy. And to it kind of, in, like, it's really difficult too, but to enjoy the little moments. Like, yeah. there will, and because... In sport, there is very few great moments and there's a lot of kind of crappier ones along the bottom. Now, they make you the athlete in the long run, but try and enjoy those little great moments because you got to hold on to them. And let your parents enjoy them with you. Yeah. Well, I think well your parents, you, I'm sorry, but yeah. they, they win the awards for best yeah. supporting act. I think like when you're a teenager, especially like growing up, 
like you're like oh my parents are embarrassing me or stop hanging out with me or (laughs) things like that but you have to remember that your parents are the ones who feed you they get you up they make you sure you get your training on time so your success is their success as well so just let them enjoy it it's way better to celebrate it with them like mine my family and friends came over to um, Rio and it actually made my moment way better and to yeah. celebrate Channel 4 them. made a gif of my dad <laughs> go, that's a better thing I think I think it's just it is it's so true you know celebrate with them because they're the ones who started you on the journey but it's also way nicer in the long run to kind of have everyone there I want to finish on your tattoo. You mentioned it earlier, Ellen. You have it on your back since, I think it's since the 2008 Paralympics. Well, I got it when I was 18. But you got it when yeah. you were 18. Yeah, I actually read that. <laughs> but it was the slogan, one world, one dream mm. from the Beijing Olympics. It doesn't Is, say. Do you, still, do, you still, do you still live by that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like it's just such an exciting and like it's a privilege to be able to do what we do. And I think to just enjoy it and keep striving for for success and excellence in sport is such a privilege to be able to do and thankfully I'm able to live my dream every day. Well it's been an absolute privilege chatting to the both of you this morning. Thanks for fitting us in amongst all the training and the napping and the eating. (laughs) (laughs) Natalia Coyle and Ellen Keane. Thank you so much for joining us on The W. Spread the word of The W by sharing this episode on social media and don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get our next episode immediately on release. Thanks for joining us. Slong the fold.